Well, good morning. It is good to be with you today on this beautiful Lord's Day so that we can glorify and worship our God and our Creator and to edify one another to keep the faith, to keep pressing upward to the call that we have and we share in Jesus Christ. I want to begin this morning uh, to have you focus on a particular verse found in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, which states and challenges us with these words when he says, Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you are dis. Qualified. What does this commandment of our Lord, this commandment that the Apostle Paul wrote by the Holy Spirit, what does this statement, what does this verse imply about a person's individual faith and their fellowship with God? Think about that. What does this imply about our relationship with God or with Christ? Very quickly, I'm going to suggest a few things before we get into the lesson. And the the one is being in the faith, being in the faith is essential. It is essential to being right with God. Two... All believers of Christ are not in the faith. I think second second thing you draw from this by implication is all believers of Christ are not all in the faith. That is, a believer can be deceived and not be in the faith. Three, a person who was once in the faith, may not be any longer in the faith. A person can have been in the faith and is now not in the faith. Four, a Christian can become disqualified. Another version reads, a Christian can become a reprobate before God. Now let's think about this this morning very briefly as we study God's word together. What we have here is an apostle of Christ being led by the Holy Spirit, challenging, he challenged the Christians then and he's still challenging us today, he's challenging Christians to seriously, to seriously look at themselves to seriously evaluate themselves and to ask themselves this question personally. And that is, are you in the faith? Are you in the faith? As 2022 soon comes to its conclusion, if we are granted... Lord willing to reach the conclusion of 2022. But it's soon here. It's right there 
within sight. And with the conclusion of 2022, there now there is this 2023 looming ahead of us. And so it is a good time for us to take a passage like 2 Corinthians 13, 5, and to do some personal reflection, to do some personal introspection, to do some personal examination. Now, a lot of people in the world, they're going to do that, but they're going to do it all for the wrong stuff. And they're going to do it for all the wrong reasons. In our study this morning in Romans 8, there's this emphasis and challenge about how we need to be led, we need to walk in the Spirit, and what that, inma- what that means and what that entails. And so we're going to consider this question of, are you in the one faith? As already stated already, all believers who claim to be in the faith All believers who claim to be in the faith are not in the faith. In Jude, which we've already read this morning at the the beginning of our assembly, in Jude, in this one chapter, short little epistle, you have a very powerful thought that is expressed to us. And what Jude does, Jude warns us about ungodly persons entering into the fellowship of Christians and turning God's grace into licentiousness. In verse 4, reading it again, he says, For certain persons have crept in. Some people have come in. He's talking about into an assembly, a congregant of faithful followers of Christ. There have been some ungodly persons who crept in unnoticed. Those who were, who were long before marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So here is Jude, guided by the Holy Spirit, warning Christians about ungodly persons coming in and giving license to disregard the teaching of Christ, and in turn, encourage to live immorally. And so what he talks about here in verse 4 is something that is the opposite of what he mentioned in verse 3. When he says in verse 3, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you Appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. So you have this idea, okay, I'm writing to you to contend for the faith that has been once for all handed down to the saints because there are these ungodly persons who have come in among God's people. They actually may be some Christians themselves who have turned to ungodly ways And he's saying, okay, this isn't good. What they're doing in regard to giving license, that is not part of the faith. And so all believers who claim to be in the faith are not all in the faith. Paul similarly warns about this problem 
that occurred then and a problem that still occurs today. And you see that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul warns Christians you know, about how there's going to be Christians, he warned about Christians apostatizing from the faith by following men's teachings. And particularly in regard here, the men's teaching involving, you know, false teaching about marriage, false teaching about foods. You know, those are some specific, specific things that he mentions in 1 Timothy chapter 4. But notice in verse 1 and verse 2, the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith. You know, if you're following from the faith, you were once in the faith. You can't fall from something that you haven't been at or been in. He says, but the time's coming. They're going to fall from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctors of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So like Jude, Paul is addressing the same problem. All believers who claim to be in the faith are not in the faith. Because he says, here he says, there's going to be Christians who are going to start giving heed to teachings, to doctrines that are not part of the faith. And he says, and they've departed from that. Paul expounds a little bit more on the same subject over in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, he says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but want to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And he goes on to say in the, in the same thought, he says, And will turn away their ears from the truth. And will turn aside to myths. And so Paul expounds on this idea there's going to be some Christians, you know, not just people in the world. He says there are going to be some Christians who are going to turn away from the truth because they no longer want to endure sound teaching from God's Word. They're going to want to do some things that the Bible doesn't allow. That the Bible doesn't direct us to do. The Bible forbids, whatever. They want to do some things that are not part of the authority of Jesus Christ. And when they do this, he says what they're doing, what's happening, they're going to, they're going to turn away from the sound doctrine. They're going to turn away from the faith and from the truth. Jesus also taught on this principle. Jesus taught... On the principle of God-fearers and God-worshippers deceiving themselves. That is, thinking what they're doing is pleasing to God, but it's not. So just a couple examples very quickly. In Matthew 7, you know this passage. It's, in, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And you look there down in the 7th chapter, beginning in verse 22. Many will say to me on that day. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your, in your name? In your name cast out demons? In your name perform many miracles? Lord, look at all that what we did in your name. We did it for you, Lord. In verse 23, the Lord answer to, the answer to that is this. Then I, that's the Lord speaking. 
that I will declare to them, these people are, are making these claims, this profession, hey, did, look, look what I did for you. And look what, you know, look what I did for you. Look at all these different things we're doing for you, God. He says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So here you've got people who believed in God. So these are God-fearers, God-worshippers who deceive themselves to think what they were doing in the name of the Lord was pleasing to God. And God says it wasn't. You are doing things outside of my law. In Matthew 15, Matthew 15, Jesus basically saying the same thing, a little different, a different context, different situation. This one is emphasizing the aspect of worship. You know, and that's important. We need to be worshiping of God. God is worthy of all glory and all praise and all honor. God is worthy of that. And we ought to be worshiping our creator. We are the creature. We are not the creator. He is. He's God. So we need to worship him. But in Matthew 15, Jesus is talking to an audience of Jews. These are God believers and God worshipers. And he says in verse 6, he said, you know, he says, and by this, they, you know, they were keeping some of God's commandments. And he says, by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. He says, you hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Were they worshipers of God? Yes. But it was in vain. It was empty. It was meaningless. It was not pleasing to God. Why was it in vain? Because they were teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. The one faith, the one faith is not just any faith a person chooses to have. We need to understand that. Now, don't even realize all believers who claim to be in the faith are not in the faith. But also, the one faith is not just anybody's faith that they choose to have. And you go back to Jude 3, where Jude, by the Holy Spirit, says that you know, he was writing to contend for the faith. What, what faith was he writing to contend? What was he contending for? He says, he says the faith you know, that was once for all handed down, or once for all delivered to the saints. There's this faith that has been given to us. He says, that's what I'm continuing. I'm continuing for the faith. What, what, what does that imply? Think about this, that phrase, the faith that was once for all handed down or delivered to the saints. I think one thing is it implies here the faith had an origin. The faith had a beginning. And this origin or this beginning or the source of the faith was distinct from the saints. It didn't originate with the saints. No, it was delivered to. It was handed down. It came from somewhere else, this faith. And so it had an origin or a, a source that was distinct from those who received it. Two, the faith came into being. That is, it is an entity on its own. 
The faith stands on its own. It is not dependent upon us. The faith has once for all been delivered. Three, the faith is a one-time only matter. It is a one-time only matter, implying or amplifying the fact that this faith is complete. The completion of the faith and the finality of the faith. It is once for all delivered to the saints. And four, the faith is for all. The one faith is not, not just any faith a person chooses to have for himself. It's like, so, so can we live in a, a time where people want to look at it? Well, it's all very relative. You know, you can believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. Wait a minute. The faith is not relative. It's relevant but it is not relative. It is not subjective to what we want or don't want. The reason why? Because there's only one. There's one faith. And you turn over that familiar passage in Ephesians 4, where there's a number of exclusive statements that are made there, not only about the faith, but also about other important vital, spiritual matters. And you can begin there in verse 4. There is one body. And Ephesians tells us you're talking about the church there. There's one church. That's the body of Christ. There's one body and one spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit. There's one spirit. Just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. You know, this inspired text emphasizes the truth that there are not many faiths which are acceptable to the one Father, the one Lord, and the one Spirit. Are there many faiths in this world? Yes, there are many faiths in this world. But there's only one faith that has been once for all delivered to mankind. And it is that one faith that is pleasing, acceptable to the one God and Father, to the one Lord Jesus Christ, and to the one Holy Spirit. Religious division, religious division is in direct opposition to the biblical concept of one faith. Religious division is in direct opposition to this biblical concept of there is one faith that's been delivered to the saints once for all. That's why denomination, the whole concept of denominationalism is contrary to God's plan, God's purpose, contrary to Christ. Because Christ is not divided. Denomination is all about division. And then you think about this idea of one faith implies what Jesus said in Matthew uh, you know, 5, 13, 7, 13, excuse me. In Matthew 7, 7, 13, when he says, enter by what? How, what do you need to enter in? The narrow gate. And so the one faith implies there is a, there is a concept of narrowness, constriction, Difficulty, hardship to the one faith. It also implies what Jesus said in John 14, 6. The, the idea of the exclusiveness of who Jesus is. You know, how many ways do you have to the Father? 
You have only one. And that one way is Jesus Christ and the faith, the one faith that is before us. And so this faith is not just any faith, whatever a person wants to believe. No, it's not just any faith a person chooses to have. Oh, people think that's the case, but that's not Bible-based. This one faith, as is once for all delivered to us, is the faith that has been revealed. It is the revealed faith that came with the coming of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 talks about this. You know, particularly there in verse 22 through 26, is scripture shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ may be given to those who believe. But before faith came, before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up. We were shut up. The faith was closed to us, which was later to be revealed. The faith was shut. But then it was revealed. It was opened. In verse 25, now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. In the context there, we're no longer under the law of Moses and that old covenant that brought death. There's one faith. And it's been revealed to us. And this one faith is the divine will that is rooted in and centered in and founded upon Jesus Christ. And so that it is an objective, not subjective. It is an objective standard. And this objective standard is different from the law of Moses. And it is now applicable to all people. It's not just, just for Jews, it's not just for Gentiles, it's for all men, this one faith that's been once for all delivered to us. And it is this faith, the one faith, that provides justification through Jesus Christ. This revealed faith, this revealed faith is what must be believed. The faith stands on its own. We are challenged to believe that faith. We can choose to believe the one faith, or we can choose not to believe the faith, but there's only one faith that will please God, please the Lord, and please the Holy Spirit. There's only one faith. And, that, and so we need to believe that one faith. And in believing, we're being called to obey Christ in order to become sons and heirs of God. And so you, you see that here in, in the following verses. Now faith has come. We're no longer under a tutor. For you're all sons of God through faith in Christ. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. We are, we are called to believe the revealed faith. Now this revealed faith was promised and prophesied before Christ even came. Galatians 3 brings that out. Just very quickly, glance over earlier in the same chapter. Galatians 3. Look there at verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. It talks about, you know, those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith, not, you know, not by a system of, of the law, but a system of faith, he says, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. When God promised Abraham those promises, that was gospel. That was gospel to the world. 
And so this idea, the faith is going to come. It's going to be once for all delivered sometime in the future. And when is it going to happen? Well, that's going to happen when Christ comes. And so when one has put on Christ, you know, when one, you know, by being baptized into Christ, then he is a son and heir of the promise. And so this one faith that's been revealed to us is what we're to believe. But so it's not, I can't just believe anything. I have to believe Christ. I have to believe Jesus. I have to not only believe in Jesus, I have to believe Jesus and everything he has said. And so, are you in the faith? Are you in the faith? When Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and gives us this challenge, these Corinthians he's writing to in the second letter, who, you know, were, they were already baptized believers. That's Acts 18. He's writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing to the saints in Corinth. So they're already baptized believers. They have, they have put on, they have clothed themselves through, you know, through believing in the faith and being baptized in Christ. So the people who he's, he, he asked this probing question were not unbelievers. That's not what he's asking this question for. Unbelievers in the world. Neither is he asking this question, you know, believers of Jesus who, never, who have not yet obeyed the gospel. That's not, that's not the group of people he's asking this question. He's asking this question to people who are believers, and who are believers who have called upon the name of the Lord to wash away their sins through baptism. That's the audience specifically. He says, are you in the faith? You need to examine yourself. You need to test yourself to see if you're in the faith, unless indeed you are disqualified. Over in Revelation chapter 2, verse 3, very quickly to mention this, and that you know, we find here in the churches, the ancient churches of Asia Minor, in the early chapters of Revelation, we find some brethren in these churches that needed to repent. There are Christians who were living in, in ways or doing things that were not right with God. They were not right and pleasing before the Lord. And in that sense, they were not keeping the faith. And so they're being challenged. Hey, you need to repent of this. You need to repent of that. Because they were not walking properly in the faith. That one faith. For example, in chapter 2, verse 4, there were some Christians who had left their first love. They need to repent and get back loving. There's others over in chapter 2, verse 4 through 15, talking about some were holding to false teachings. They need to stop holding to those false teachings and, and repent and come back to the right teaching. In chapter 3, you've got one who's described as a, a woman who is a false prophetess. And there are some who are tolerating this false prophetess among them. And they're told to repent of that. Same chapter, chapter 3, you have another congregation where he says, some of you are lukewarm. And you're so lukewarm, God says, you're making me sick and I'm going to vomit you out. And he says, y'all need to repent. You need to be zealous again. Now, all of these churches were people who were once in the faith. 
But they need to examine themselves. They need to test themselves because unless they repented, they were disqualified. They were no longer in the faith. I want to end by asking us just some very personal questions. As we just, like I said, this is a, a lesson of reflection. A lesson of reflection and introspection. Because Paul's call for self-examination is urgent. The saints then needed to do it, and the saints today, we need to do it. Because Christians can be, Christians can become disqualified or reprobate by not remaining, standing firm in the one faith. So John 4, when Jesus there at the well talks about worship, he talks about worship there and he describes those who are true worshipers of God. The true worshipers of God, implying you can be a worshiper and be a false worshiper. If there's such thing as true worshipers, then there's also such thing as false worshipers. He said, but to be a true worshiper of God, there in verse 23 and 24, for example, verse 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him must, must, not may, if you want to, no, must worship in spirit and truth. Are we? Are we being true worshipers as saints of God, as Christians? Are we being, are we worshiping in truth? Are we worshiping in spirit? To go with that, in Colossians 3.16, talks about how we need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We need to be filled. And we need to be, in a sense, wealthy with God's word living in, within us. And as a result of that indwelling of the word of Christ, being just enriched with the word of, of Jesus, our Lord, he says, and then... Speaking to another, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Are we filled? Once again, we're not, you know, each of us need to be asking this, these questions ourselves. Don't be thinking about anybody else right now. Just, just look in the mirror right now and says, are we filled with Christ's word and as a result singing with gratitude when we come together? Are you in the faith? Examine yourself. Test yourselves. You know, Paul's not telling the preacher to test you. Paul's not telling the elders to test you. Paul is saying, you test yourself. That's what he's saying here. So are, are we in the faith? Are we being true worshipers of God? You know, are we singing and praising God with gratitude? Another question. Are, are we walking in darkness while claiming to be in fellowship with the Christ? Are we walking in darkness while claiming to be in fellowship with Christ? In 1 John you know, chapter 1, verse 6, the apostle by the Spirit has this. If we say that we have fellowship with him, that's what we're saying, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Are you in the faith? Are you in the one faith? Are you walking in darkness or claiming something else, something different? You know, I think John expounds on this further when you get into chapter 2 and he talks about the love of this world. He said, do not love the world and the things in it. 
The reason why? Because when you're loving the world, you're not loving God. Yeah. You're not loving God as you ought when you're loving the world. So how do we love the world? Well, we love the world, you know, when we're loving the things in the world. When the things in this world are more important and more valuable, you know, and it captures our attention and captures our allegiance, captures our love, that's when we're loving the world more than we're loving God. Are we loving fleshly desires or are we holding to the pride of life? Those are things that John says, that's what the love of the world is. The love of the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Are we loving that kind of stuff? Are you in the faith? Or in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, are we edifying and stirring up brethren, one another, to love and good deeds? Are we doing that? Are we, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing the bad stuff. Good. But are you, doing, are you doing all the good stuff you're supposed to be doing on the, on the flip side of that? Are you edifying and stirring up one another, your brethren, to love and to good deeds? Are we forbearing and forgiving one another without complaint? That's a big one, isn't it? Are we forbearing and forgiving one another without complaint? I want to read that. It's in the context of where we are God's chosen people, holy and beloved. And he says in verse 13, bearing with one another... And forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, also should you. Are we doing that? Are we, are we, and are we doing that also, but without complaint, without murmuring, with all, but rather with gratefulness? Or over in chapter 4, verse 6, let your speech always be with grace. Is, is our speech seasoned with graciousness? There's any number of questions we can go down and ask ourselves. You think about it, are, are we in the faith? Are we in the faith? God knows and you can know whether you are or not. Keeping the faith, it is so much more than just believing in Jesus. Do we need to believe in Jesus? Yes. Do we need to believe that he is the son of God? Yes. It is essential. You cannot be saved without believing that. But it's so much more than that. Because believing in Jesus and believing Jesus is adhering to Christ. Adhering to the anointed one, the Lord, in, in word and in deed. In heart and in mind. In worship and and in doctrine. Are you in the faith? If you have not called upon the name of the Lord to be saved by obeying Christ, obeying the good news of salvation, if you have not done that, you are not in the faith yet. To put on Christ, to clothe yourself to Christ, to enter Christ, you have to believe he is the Son of God. That he died on the cross of Calvary and raised on the third day. You've got to believe that with all your heart. But believing that, you need to be willing to confess that with your mouth before others. 
You need to repent of sin and you need to be baptized into Christ. It is then you enter Christ and you begin your new life with him. And to stand firmly for the rest of your days in that one faith. Contending earnestly for that which was once for all delivered to us through Jesus Christ. If we assist you anyway spiritually to make your life right, please come forward and make your wishes known. We stand and sing the psalm that's been selected. <laughs>